Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Today we wrap up the book of Philippians. So you can open your Bibles to Philippians 4. That's where we're going to be. Um, as you're doing that, I'm going to pray for us, for our time in the Word this morning. And we do, Jesus, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's living, it's active among us, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe upon these words, Lord. Uh, we want to hear from you, Jesus. We want the message that is packed in the book of Philippians to, uh, to take root in our heart, Lord. And I pray for fruit to come from the season in the book of Philippians, God. We don't want just knowledge. We don't want to have answers uh, to all kinds of Bible trivia, Lord. We want our lives to embody the truth of your words, Jesus. And so thank you for the book of Philippians. Thank you for what you've taught us, Lord, in it. And I just pray you'd give us uh, your wisdom, your revelation this morning as we look into the, to this book. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That last verse, is it familiar to anybody? It, probably behind John three sixteen, it's probably one of the most quoted familiar verses. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a great verse. And here Paul is writing to the church in Philippi about it. Um, we're not going to go on from here. We're going to focus on this section. Not that it's not important what comes after that. We'll mention it, but that is the, the focus this morning. If I were to ask you if you were a content person, would you say you are a content person? If you believe you are a content person, will you be bold enough to contently raise your hand if you're a content person? Great. Keep them up. I'm going to read the definition of content. Satisfied. Keep them up. Not wanting more or anything else. How many of you would say you don't want anything else? If life stayed the exact same today, you'd be happy. You don't need another shirt. You don't need more money in your retirement account. You don't need a better car. We have a couple of content people. I am so glad Let's pray again uh, for the rest of us. <laughs> pray for the rest of us. I hope you took note of who raised their hand so after the service you can go have a chat with them. Um, satisfied. Not wanting anything else. Not wanting anything more. Contentment. That's, that's not like a Bible definition. That's from like Miriam Webster her, herself. You guys didn't know she was a she, huh? Um, so the context of how Paul, he's saying, I've learned the secret of being content. 
And this is the context that we find that great verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's wrapping up his letter to the Philippians, and he's thanking them because they've sent a gift to him. If you read on from this little section, he talks about that gift. Consistently, the church in Philippi has been generous toward Paul. He's a missionary. He's traveling. He stopped in Philippi, and they sent him on with money, with supplies. They've been extremely generous to Paul. This time, they send a gift, and they also send one of their own. They send Epaphroditus to them, one of their, their, their trusted people, to be with Paul, to keep him company. He's in prison, so he could use uh, a hand. Back then, if you were in prison, you, you were in charge of securing your own food. It wasn't like you just you had a meal, uh, three meals prepare, prepared for each day. You had to find a way to get food. So Paul saying, I, you know, them, uh, the church in Philippi giving him a gift was significant, although he was in prison and sending it with uh, Epaphroditus. Paul is saying that he is now well supplied. He thanks him for their gift. He does it in an interesting way. I don't know if you caught on to this. He says, thank you. You've revived your concern for me. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation to be content. He's saying, thanks for the gift. I didn't need it, but thank you. You know, it's like you open a birthday present. You know, I, you know, I wasn't in need, but thank you for this gift. That's kind of just like a, you know, Christmas morning, you wake up. I got you this great gift. You know, I don't need another sweater, but thank you. You know, it's kind of, Paul is like, it's a weird thank you. He's saying, I, you know, I'm not in need, but thanks for giving. And it's like, the guy's in prison. He needs food provided for him each day. And he's saying, you know, I wasn't, I'm not being, I'm not in need, people, but thank you. So I'm, I'm hoping that this is some like Greek custom to thank people this way. If that's, maybe that's why Paul did it. But anywho, he thanks them in an interesting way. He says, I've learned the secret. I've learned to be content in all things. Again, the definition of contentment, satisfied, not wanting more or anything else. Paul's saying, I've learned that. Simply put, um, contentment is striking a balance between what you want and what you have. I, I made a really fancy slide, if Darren could throw it up there. It's the, it's the fancy one, Darren. There it is. Um, contentment. You guys got it down there, too. Contentment. At the very top is a picture of contentment. It's a balance between what you have and what you want, what you desire and what, what you have. The bottom, you see a good picture of discontent. What you desire, what you want, is outweighing what you have. That's when you are faced with discontent in your life. When you, there's not enough food on the table, when your car's breaking down, that is when discontent comes. When what you want outweighs what you have. Is that clear? I liked it. I thought it was fancy. The tough thing is contentment is not natural for us. No, none of us come out of the womb feeling content. We cry, we need, we want things. It's never enough. You should see my two-year-old eat right now. He's never content. It's more, what are you eating? I'd like some of that. You know, it's like his gut is huge, but he's never content. Isn't it? And what I like, though, is Paul says, I've learned contentment. I've learned contentment. This is something we learn. We learn to be content. We learn to be content. It's a daily battle against our flesh and our desires to find that secret of being content. He says in 11 and 12, he's learned the secret of contentment. Our stuff, it, it, it's interesting because Paul's, it, his contentment is not based on his stuff, what he has. His stuff isn't the problem. Our desires are the problem. Our stuff is not the problem. The things that we think we need or want, that's not, that's not so much the problem. Our desires, the desire that we have within us, that, that's the problem. Now, 
stuff's not off the hook. The more you feed your flesh things, the more you're going to desire it, and you're not doing yourself any favors if you keep feeding that. So stuff's not off the hook, but the main problem here is our desires. That's what throws this thing out of whack, what we want, what we crave. I love what Paul says because he says, you know, having more does not equal contentment. He's learned the secret to be content whether, no matter what his bank account looks like, no matter what, how much food he has on the table. He says, I've learned to be content in all things. For Paul, the battle of contentment is fought both when he has very little and when he has plenty. If we read verse 12, at the end of verse 12, he says, I, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. In any and every circumstance, we're always fighting to be content. Whether we, you can't pay the light bill or whether you had your best sales month of the year, you're always fighting to be content. Both having plenty, both having more than what you need, and not having enough. Both of those things, both of those circumstances will mock God and fight for your contentment. Just because this isn't a message to people who don't have enough or, to, or who are poor. This is, uh, th- Paul is saying in every circumstance I've learned to be content, whether I'm abounding or whether I'm in need, I can be content. In, when we're in need, we mo- that circumstance will mock God and say, where is God? God is distant. He's abandoned you. That is where your discontent will creep in when you're in need. If you have plenty, the, 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 the mocking question that will come in, who needs God? I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough. That, that's the, the voice that will come in when you have plenty. So whether you're in need or you're in want, contentment is on, on the battle line. We fight for contentment. Paul says, he doesn't just say, I've learned to be content when I don't have enough. He says, I've learned to be content when I'm abounding and I have way more than I need. And I've learned to be content when I don't have enough. There's no off season with this fight for contentment. Now, uh, the way I was looking at this, as I was considering what, uh, you know, contentment is, obviously the opposite of contentment is discontent. So I was wondering, what, what, how does discontent show up in our lives? And, um, you know, discontent, as I see it, isn't so much like a cancer that just outright kills you and you know it's bad and it's got to go. It's more like a parasite that there's a bit of a symbiotic relationship. You're getting something from it as well. You're getting pats on the back from your boss for your discontent. You're getting attention from your friends for, because of your discontentment. Discontentment is, is, is a pretty nasty thing. It, can, it feeds something in us, and it's, it, it, therefore it's hard to, to recognize. So I like to recognize things by their fruit, and what are they producing in my life? Am I discontent? I'm not sure. Let's take a look at the fruit that's coming from uh, my life. The first symptom that I, that I recognize of a discontent heart is complaint. By the way, all these symptoms start with the letter C miraculously. I don't know how it happens, but apparently you can't preach unless all your points start with the same letter. I have learned that. It was pretty hilarious. It just started coming. I was like, I can't do this. I've got to find a different letter. But it happened. Anyway, complaint. The first thing that I see that pops up in our life when we're discontent when we're out of whack with what we want and what we desire is complaint. When you see what you have, your house, your car, your job, is your first thought to thank God or to grumble about what is wrong with these things? Is your house too small, your car needing too much repair, your job too boring, not paying enough? Or are you thankful for these things? What's the first thing that pops into your head when you think of these things? When people ask, how are you doing? Do you become stuck with only seeing what's wrong? You can't recognize what's right in your life? 
How do your prayers sound? Take a look at how your prayers sound. Are you always asking for more? Does your prayer slowly merge from a conversation with God, uh, slowly merge from uh, thanking him for what he's given you to a conversation with, about what's wrong in your life? Is it, are these things creeping into your life? A very clear example of how complaint looks is found in the Old Testament as Israel was traveling through the wilderness. In Exodus 16, Numbers 11, and Numbers 11, don't turn there, I'll, I'll just trust me on this one. You should read it sometime. It's a great story. God's miraculously saved these people, uh, has saved the nation of Israel from bondage, from, from uh, slavery in Egypt. He's walking them through the desert on way to the promised land. They've seen miracles. They've seen his glory with their own eyes. He, is, he didn't just like, you know, do something subtle to get them out of Egypt. He did some serious things to get them out of Egypt. He got their attention. So where are they at? They're in the, their desert, and they're complaining about the menu. God has sent them bread, manna from heaven, and, out of, so the, and they start grumbling. God, you know, that bread that you're sending miraculously in the middle of nowhere, that's great, but can we get some meat? Can we get some meat on the menu? We had meat when we were in bondage. You know, the meat in Egypt tasted a lot better than the bread that we have here in freedom. Complaint. When we complain, it, it, it inhibits us from experiencing the blessing of the present moment. Complaint totally blinds us from what is happening in front of us. They couldn't see the miracle of manna. They wanted meat. I love what happens next. God hears their complaints. He's ticked. And he says, okay, they shall have meat. Not just enough for one day or a week. They'll have a, a month's worth of meat. They'll have so much meat, they'll eat meat until it comes out of their nostrils. God says that in the Old Testament. They'll eat so much meat, it'll come out of their nostrils. I have a little baby right now who's spitting up. You know it's a bad spit up when it comes out of his nostrils. He is totally not happy when it shoots out of his nose. God is saying, okay, I'll give you kids what you want, but it's going to shoot out your nostrils. So he sends them quail. Um, he gave them what they wanted so that they might detest what he detests. A complaining heart, it's despicable. It completely blocks that God is, he's giving them a land that is not their own, and they can't see it because they're hungry for meat. So they need to experience that sickening feeling of meat coming out their nostrils in order to understand what complaint is like to the Lord. Take note of what you're complaining about, lest you have to learn a difficult lesson, like meat coming out of your nostrils. You might get what you're complaining about, and it might not be as as sweet as you think it'll be. Complaint shows up in our lives when we're discontent. Now, there there is such thing as godly complaint. In Psalm 142, David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, is, um, is writing. He's on the run for his life. He's hiding um, from Saul. And he says, I pour out my complaint before him. This is David, godly David. I pour out my complaint. He's complaining to God. I tell him my trouble. The difference, though, the difference of David's complaint and Israel's complaint, he accompanies it with truth. The Israels did not accompany their complaint with truth. They did not recognize the provision of God. David says later in that, in that psalm, the Lord is my portion in the land of the living. I'm pouring out my complaint, but I remember that God is my portion in the land of the living. Though I'm on the run for my life, God is alive and he's given me a portion. The, uh, he said that God has dealt bountifully with him. Some of us have reason to complain. Not, not most of us. Some of us do. If, you, if you're going to complain, pour it all out. David says, I pour out all my complaint before you. Pour out your complaint and don't pick it back up. 
If there's something that is not right in your life, it is okay to go to God with it. I'm not saying that you have to just pretend like things are okay. But godly complaint is different. You remember what's true, and you pour it all out. You leave it at the cross, and you don't pick it back up. It's his. And you say, Lord, you've dealt bountifully with me. You've given me a portion. This is my complaint. I'm done with it. I'm I'm moving on. You don't keep picking it up and going back to it and complaining. That's ungodly complaint. Is that clear? So the next thing that pops up in our life is covetousness. Woo! Covetousness. I hope I don't have to say that anymore. Um, Are you rarely satisfied with what's in front of you? Are you always looking to what's ahead, what could be better, a better gift? Is your desire for more controlling your thoughts? Are you constantly thinking about getting more throughout your day? Do you work long hours away from your family, not so that you can just provide for their needs, but so you can get more toys and more things? When you see an ad for a new gadget on TV, does your heart start beating really fast and you get a little sweaty? Do you, want, do you have a desire for more, a craving for more? Your covetousness, there it is, might be pointing to a bigger problem of being discontent. That fruit that's growing in your life of, of coveting things is pointing to a discontent heart. So how do we pluck that fruit from our life? We learn the secret of contentment. We start with repentance. Covetousness is a sin. Uh, I don't want to beat around the bush on that. Cove- desiring things in that way is a sin. In Colossians, God likens covetousness with uh, idolatry. It's sin that has plagued people of God for, for many years before that. It's, a, it's idolatry because it elevates things above God. It, it puts things, uh, material things, above God. And that's why it's idolatry. It steals our worship. A bigger house becomes your, your, uh, your savior. A better job becomes your provider. Uh, a fancier vacation or a third boat becomes your source of pleasure. All these things that God wants to occupy in our life as savior and provider and a source of our joy, these things start coming in and feeling, filling that need in an ungodly way. Greed is always behind this. It's always fueling covetousness, a desire for more. Um, in First Timothy, uh, the, the Lord says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you desire money, if you love money and things, it opens the door for all kinds of nasty things in your life to come in. That craving just opens up the door because you're worshiping things above the Lord. When I, I, th- I think, I'm sure many of you know of the Occupy Wall Street thing that's going on. I think of this because... You know, I, and I'm not going to, you know, go on and on about this, but the thing that stands out to me that's funny about this, they're, f- they're mad about greed, and they're fighting greed with greed. You guys have so much. Give us more. And I, I just am so confused by that. You can't fight greed with greed. You see, like, uh, signs of people like, saying, like, pay off my student loan or spread out the money. You know, it's just like, you're mad about greed, but in your heart there is greed. You can be a greedy person and be the poorest person on this earth. Greed is not synonymous with wealth. And so um, it's, it's like trying to, to lose weight by eating more. You know, it's like, we need more. We need more. We're tired of greed. We need more. And to me, that, that's not the way that we fight covetousness. We fight it with subtraction in our life. We take, we take things out of our lives. We, we pull things down that have elevated themselves above the Lord. That's how we fight covetousness, not by getting more. That, that balance of things, what we want and what we have, that being out of balance, it's thrown into balance when we, our desires shift. Um, the, the next thing that pops up in our life is control. Control. When money's tight, do you clinch down and control, or do you open up in greater faith? When God blesses you, is your first thought, how much can I keep? 
Or how much can I give away? When you sit down to budget each month, are you filled with dread or filled with joy about how much God has given you? When you, when you give to God's work, do you, do, uh, do you think, how much can I afford to give? Or how, or how little can I keep for myself? How little can I get by? How much can I give uh, to what God's doing? God gives each of us money and things to steward and manage. He, he gives those things to us not to control them, to steward them, to, to send them in the direction that honors him. The amount of what he gives us is not as significant as the, our heart toward what he has given us. He could give you, you know, $100 a month, and your heart could be so controlling over that. I'm not going to let any of this get away. That you, 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 you keep God from giving you anything else. It's, it, the, the metaphor I like is having a closed fist. You can't put anything else in a closed fist. But when your, your fist, your hand is open before the Lord, he can take what he needs, and he can give you what you need. But when you control uh, I believe that is pointing toward a heart that is not content, that is not satisfied with, with what God has given us. We are not in control, and there's always fear that lurks behind this thing of control. There's always fear. I guarantee you, if you are a controlling person with the things that God's given you, uh, there's probably something that went on in your life. Maybe your parents went bankrupt and you vowed that's never going to happen to my family. Maybe um, you, you grew up and you guys always had not enough to eat and you always had holes in your clothes and you said, you know, I'm going to work as many hours as it takes to, to make sure that, that I never go through that again. And I, I'm not discounting hard work, but if behind it is fear that God's not going to take care of you, then, then something's off. You're not content. There's no fear in love. And if you don't see God as a loving father, of course you're not going to think that he's going to take care of your needs each month. And of course you're going to have to control and take care of number one. If I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of me? The, the, the last thing that I see pop up in our lives um, when, we're, uh, when we're discontent is comparison. When a friend gets a raise, are you genuinely, genuinely happy for them or inner, inwardly wondering, why do I never get anything good? Are you exhausted from trying to keep up with your friends' houses, cars, clothes, gadgets? Do you feel more confident when you know you, are, uh, you have a better paying job than those you're around? Or when a friend messes up, do you feel stronger, more spiritual, because they messed up and you didn't? When someone stands up at church to give an announcement or, or uh, read the word, do you, do, do you look for faults in them? Do you wonder, why don't I ever get asked to do something? Are you constantly comparing yourself to those around you? If you are, I, I, would, I would suggest that your heart is, is not content before the Lord. It's a, comparison is so nasty. It'll completely destroy the fellowship that we enjoy together. It'll completely divide us because we're always trying to get ahead of each other, and we're always trying to prove that we are uh, stronger, uh, better equipped, better parents than one another. It'll completely destroy what's happening here if we're, if we're racked by comparison. Um. And the, the difficult thing is, though, we've been doing this our whole lives. That's how you learn is by comparing. This isn't that. That is that. We, we know how to compare. It's, it's second nature to us. In Proverbs, the Lord says, don't swerve to the right or the left. And he's not talking specifically about comparison here, but that's what I, I see comparison being. You're swerving to the right. You're swerving to the left. They have this. I need that. Oh, no, they have this. I need that. Oh, they dress this way. I need to dress that way. Oh, they got this car. I need to get this car. You're just completely swerved, tossed to and fro. There's no stability because your eyes are on other people and not the Lord. Now, we take care of each other. That doesn't mean we don't, we just, like, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not looking at anybody. 
We can take care of each other, but you're not going to take care of anybody if you're, completely, you're constantly comparing yourself to them. You're constantly trying to make yourself feel better. Um, remember David uh, also said in Psalm 16 that, that his lines have, the lines have fallen in a pleasant place for me. He says before the Lord, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, that, that doesn't look significant right away, but r- biblical inheritance, the oldest, uh, the, the oldest sibling got a double portion. David, where was he at in the birth line? The youngest. He wasn't getting the double portion. And he's talking about his inheritance. His oldest brother is getting twice as much as David's getting. But he's saying before the Lord, I have a beautiful inheritance because my inheritance is in you, Lord. You've given me, you've dealt bountifully with me. You've given me a beautiful inheritance. He's not racked by comparing himself to his brother or those around him. I, I, I got to wonder if that's our prayer before the Lord. Lord, you've given me so much. I have a beautiful inheritance in you. I don't have to worry about what you, you've given somebody else or what you haven't given me. I have a beautiful inheritance. So those are the, the, the signs and symptoms I see of discontent. Now, how do we get rid of it? The Lord, we have a hope. Remember in that verse, Paul says, I can do what through him who strengthens me? All things. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There's, we have a great hope against this, this discontentment that we might be up against. Now, uh, honestly, this verse I heard mostly around sports. It's a great verse for sports. I can do all things, beat this team, because Jesus is strengthening me. You know, I, I'm, okay with, I'm okay with the Bible speaking to you in, in different ways, but the context of this is not winning. It's winning and losing. The, the losing team should be quoting this verse as much as the winning team. I can do all things through him and strengthens me. I can have plenty. I can have nothing. I can win. I can lose. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. I, that is not the prayer that is in my heart. I can do really good things through him who strengthens me, but I, can, I have a hard time doing difficult things. I have a hard, it, I, it, when, when I look at my budget, my, my first thought, is if I had a little bit more, then. If we had a little bit more, then. It's not, I can do this through him who strengthens me. I have plenty. You've dealt bountifully with me. The first cure that I see to discontentment is Jesus Christ. A problem with discontentment is a problem with worship. It's who are we worshiping? Where is our worship directed? And, um, if, if you're worshiping the opinions of people, your life is full of covenants, you're probably wor- you're worshiping things above God. Um, if, you're, if you're just racked with um, control, you're probably worshiping yourself and your abilities. When we're, when we're not content, there's a, there's a problem of worship that's going on. If Jesus is enough for our hearts, we will be content. Bottom line, if Jesus is enough for us, we will be content. That's the secret that Paul's learned. He is our portion. And Jesus, when he was on earth, he enjoyed the, he, before he came to earth, he enjoyed the riches of heaven. There, there's nothing that he needed in the presence of his father. He came to earth. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He died alone, possessionless. And he knew what it was to be content because his, his, his portion was found in the Lord. And Paul learned the secret of being content, content by looking to Jesus. Um, so I would encourage you to check the state of your worship right now. Check in with, 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 with what you're worshiping, who you're worshiping. Especially now over the holidays, because you're going to be seeing a lot of family. You're going to be a lot, lot, lot of memories coming back. Especially check if you're comparing yourself to others. Or if you're desiring things as you're shopping that are in an unhealthy way. Oh, if I only had that, my life would be so good. 
Jesus taught us so much about the Father while he ministered on earth. And he told parables of the, how the Father searches for what is lost. He searches for his kids that are lost. He, 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 uh, that, the, the, the parable uh, of the prodigal son is a great example that, that, that God is, is waiting and running f- f- for those that will come home. Or, the, you know, the lady who loses a coin and she turns her whole house up, upside down until she finds that coin. That's a picture of God's heart and the Father. He searches for what is lost. And um, if something is stirring in you this morning and you're becoming aware of the discontent within you, that, that discontent could be a great gift to you this morning. It could be pointing to a, a need that you have for Jesus that you haven't had filled before. Maybe you've put your trust in him and walked away like the prodigal son. Maybe you've never put your trust in him. And that discontent that's stirring in you, that, that, don't ignore that and swallow it and go home today. God is putting his finger on something, saying, I can satisfy you. I can satisfy you more than things, more than people, more than an experience. I can satisfy you. I was driving yesterday. um, uh, Well, sorry, I was with my kids yesterday, the little one and Levi who's running around. And I thought he was with Katie in the other room. She was in the shower, and I, I didn't hear him for a while, so I got a little panicked. So I put the little one down. I started running throughout the house. Not running at first. Levi, where are you? He likes to hide, so I checked his hiding spots. No Levi. Levi, I'm yelling. I'm starting to panic. I'm running. I'm throwing open doors, looking in bathrooms, toilets. Where is my son? I'm starting to get really panicked. I'm looking outside. Did he unlock a door? Oh, no. You know, Katie's in the shower. She doesn't know this is going on, so I'm trying to solve this. And I kid you not, probably 10 seconds of this went by. It felt like 10 hours. And he's in his playroom hiding behind this chair, eating gum that he found in my backpack really quietly. You know, he's like, it's hot. It's hot. You know, it's like, yeah, it's hot. And he shouldn't, he shouldn't have been doing that, but I was not thinking about that moment. I was so happy to find him, and I hardly lost him for any time at all. And I just was so, like, struck with that. Wow, that, I hardly lost him. He wasn't, he wasn't lost. He didn't walk away from God. He didn't turn and, and, and go to a life of drugs on the street. He just was sitting by the couch ten, uh, for 10 seconds, and I was panicked. And that's, the father's heart feels that. I, after that, I went to get some ice cream at Rite Aid because it's the best, and it was on sale. Um, the Rite Aid by our house, the freezer was broken, which is like, if Rite Aid does anything, they should never let their freezer break. So I had to go to another one across town. At the other one across town, it's dead because it's 9 o'clock at night, um, and I'm hunting for pecan praline. And... Um, and the lady who, the girl who checks, uh, you know, what do you call it? Check, checks me out? That sounds weird. Um, you know, I pay her for the ice cream. She, she's the daughter, she's a daughter of a friend of mine, and she has completely walked away uh, from the Lord and had a child with a, a guy she was living with. Now she's not living with him. Just, and I, got, I heard from her mom constantly about the heartbreak her mom felt for, for this kid. And there she is at the Rite Aid I didn't want to go to. And I was driving, and then I asked her, you know, what are you, what are you up to? She's like, oh, I'm living with my mom now, me and my son. And I just was so thrilled, like, how excited that mom is. And I was driving home, and I was just thinking, you know, Lord, this is it. I know we're talking about contentment today, but this is the heart behind everything that God is about. He is searching for those he, he loves. He's searching for the lost. He wants his kids to come home. He has a desire that none would perish, that none would spend eternity apart from him. If you're here today and you've never felt that, lo- that love of the Father, 
don't, today could be the day that you start that relationship with them. And if you came with somebody that loves Jesus, talk to them about how you can know him. If you didn't come with anybody, come talk to me. Don't, don't swallow that discontentment you're feeling inside. And for the rest of us, tomorrow you're going to work next to people who are completely unsatisfied with their lives. They're completely discontent with what's around them. And are you providing a, a place for them to know Jesus? When you see that they're chasing after things and girls and, and, and their, their lives are ruined, are, are you a place where they can find Jesus? Are you, are you putting that before them? Or are you too concerned about looking cool and being, you know, the, the hands-off kind of Christian? God is searching. He's panicked. He wants his kids to come home. And are we participating with them in, in, in searching for the, those that are lost? Now, the, the next two things are related on, obviously, Jesus is the main cure for this, but there's a couple things, a couple weapons that he gives us to fight against contentment. Thankfulness, I think, is a, is a huge one. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. It's a great time to, to recognize that we can be thankful that for the things that God has given us. The Psalms are covered with thankfulness toward the Lord. And um, if things like, things like complaint and comparison and covetousness, control, they have a really hard time sticking to a heart that's genuinely thankful before the Lord. So I'd encourage you to put this into practice. Maybe as you're driving, turn the radio off and just thank God out loud with your mouth for what you have. Don't turn it into things that you need. You can take care of, he knows what you need and you can take care of that with him later. Just thank him for what's in front of you. God, thank you that my car started this morning. Lord, thank you for a house. Thank you for healthy children. Thank you that I have clothes and I don't have to worry about if I'm going to have shoes on my feet today. Thank him out loud with your mouth. And covetousness and control, comparison, they have a hard time sticking to that heart. And it's so funny. We just celebrate Thanksgiving, and the next day, what do we do? Thank you for what we have. I need a whole lot more. I need to go shopping. Everything's on sale. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's like the, the fighting greed with greed thing. We're so thankful. We have so much. We don't have enough. I need to stand in line at four in the morning and go hunt something down. That, that is not genuine thankfulness before the Lord. Um, the, 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 the second weapon that the Lord gives us, I believe, is giving. Um, when, when we look to Jesus and find our complete satisfaction in him, we, can th- we thank him for what he's given us. In turn, we can give back to, to him and to others in a, in a really cool way. And it's really rare to find a generous person who's not content. It's really rare to find a generous person who is not content. And when you give, when you give when it hurts, you're pledging allegiance to a kingdom that's not of this world. You're pledging allegiance to a kingdom that's not the Black Friday kingdom. When you give, you're saying, God has dealt bountifully with me. I'm thankful for what he's given me. I'm giving back to him. You're pledging allegiance. You're you're saying, I am a part of a kingdom that cannot be seen. And God doesn't just say that he likes givers. He likes cheerful givers, content people that enjoy distributing what he's given them. And... um, but giving, like thankfulness, is something that we have to learn and put into practice. Maybe filling up a bag of toiletries for a kid you don't know is maybe a step that you need to take to give. I don't know, but put it into practice. Make it tangible. Um, there, we've done something in years past called Advent Conspiracy. We're not going to do it as a big push this year, but um, my family's going to do it, absolutely. The, whole, you can, the website is adventconspiracy.org. Um, you can go find it. The whole push behind it is to spend less on Christmas, give more 
of yourself, give more of your time so that you can give. And, and the project they, they always put before us is to give to, like, clean water in the world. Um, my family's going to do that again. I think it's such a statement to make to say we're not going to participate in the, celebrating the birth of Jesus like the rest of this world does. We're going to give uh, till it hurts. We're going to give more of ourselves. We're not just going to hide behind a, a nice new sweater. We're actually going to give our time and our conversation to people. Um, to me, that is a great step in the direction of being giving. Um, and I don't want you guys to confuse contentment with complacency. I, I just want to make a quick note of that. Com- it's, contentment isn't just sitting on your hands and being like, oh, you know, I'm okay with so-so life or so-so walk with the Lord. Paul was not happy with his relationship with the Lord. He said, I want to know him more. I don't know him enough. I want to know him more. I got to spend more time with him. That, he, you can still be, have a content heart before the Lord and have a drive in you to know him. So don't, if, you're, if you're sitting back like, oh, I'm pretty content. I'm just going to sit here, you know, and I work 10 hours a week. That's pretty good. And, you know, that's, and if I'm not make, if you can't find more work, I'm not making fun of that. But if you're satisfied with just a so-so existence, that's not being content. Being content is ha- having your rock and your source in Jesus and letting him use you, use your things the way that he wants. So I want us to respond today um, because I, I think it's best if we put this stuff into practice and we just don't go bury it in uh, chips and salsa. But to, to put this into practice, um, I, I really felt um, strongly from the Lord we were to repent. These things like covetousness, complaint, comparison, control, they, they're not just like nice little things that we can ignore. They're, they're detestable before the Lord and they're, they're completely blocking the life of God uh, from, be, from growing more abundantly in our life. We need to turn from these things. That's what repenting th- is, turning from these things, saying I changed my mind about what I'm getting from these things. Um, so we're going to do that. And it's always best to repent specifically. Don't generally repent. I repent of control. Ask God, Lord, how do I control in my life? Okay, God, I repent of how I um, jump on my wife's case if she spends $5 over the food budget. That's what I repent of. Get specific with it. If you, if you just get general with it, it's going to be hard to pinpoint it. Ask God to reveal to you how and where you need to repent. And repentance doesn't just happen here in a prayer and you go home and everything's better. You have to daily walk out this thing. Turn your, turn your back from uh, discontentment. Turn your back on discontentment daily. So we're going to repent. The other thing I want us to do is practice giving and practice thankfulness. You all got a card when you walked in, hopefully right? These aren't teams that you're on based on your color, so it's, don't, don't worry. Um, I felt it really strong on my heart that we were to exercise this thing of thankfulness toward our pastor, Travis, and Tiffany. They're not here today, um, and Travis has not hinted in any way that he's in need or is feeling depressed or unappreciated, so I don't want to think that Travis talk, you know, cried to me before he went away, and now I'm trying to make him feel better. To me, honestly, I think this is more for us than Travis, for us to, to activate a, a spirit of giving and thankfulness towards somebody. And Travis loves you. You might not know him well, but he loves you. And he watches over our souls. He prays for us. He takes care of us. And it is not uh, an easy thing. And I think it'd be great if we wrote a note of thankfulness, of gratitude toward Travis and Tiffany. If you know Tiffany better, write it to her. Um, if you don't know them well at all, um, make something up. I mean, he's a pastor. He has three young girls. Um, you can just thank him for 
preaching every Sunday. I really like your jokes. You know, it doesn't have to be real deep and spiritual. I just want him to get these things and feel appreciated and thanked. And more than anything, I want us to understand that thankfulness is a weapon that we have against being discontent. Maybe you're completely discontent with this church and you want this to change and that to change. And if this was different, I'd bring my friend. And maybe this is the the key that God's giving you to unlock that discontent. Because maybe that's blocking you from real honest relationship in in this church body. Write a quick note to him um, before you leave. There's, a, there's some baskets out there that you can drop it in. And maybe God is giving you, putting on your heart to activate that other weapon of giving. You can absolutely give to them if you have a few extra bucks in your pocket or a gift card to Starbucks. or I don't know. Maybe God's putting it on your heart to give. Give to him as well. I, I think it, I mean, it's a great season of the year to give and bless others. So throw a few bucks in there for the Aiklands. If you want to write a check, you can make it to the church and we can make sure it gets to him. Um, and again, Travis has not hinted in any way that he needs this or that he's in need. Like, you know, Paul said, I haven't said I'm in need, but I, I think it would be a cool thing to, for us to be able to bless somebody who blesses us and takes care of us. So write a note, drop a gift card in there, drop a few bucks, write a check, be obedient to the Lord. Be obedient to the Lord in, in, in what we're doing. I'm going to pray and, um, I'm going to repent of these things. If you're repenting along with me, agree in your heart, agree out loud, um, and, and let's get our hearts before the Lord. And you can, we went, uh, it's a little over time, so we can um, try not to rush this note thing. Write a, write a note to them, drop it in. There's a couple baskets in the, the, the foyer area, and uh, let's use this gift and this weapon of thankfulness and giving. So let's pray. Lord, we turn our backs on discontentment. We recognize, Lord, the schemes of our enemy against our lives to just wreck our hearts with discontentment, Lord, by feeding on our complaint, feeding on our greed for more, Lord, feeding on our control, feeding on our comparison. God, we we recognize the enemy has taken us out in, in so many areas. And, Lord, I thank you for the truth that no weapon that's forged against us will prosper. I thank you, Jesus, for the truth that we can do all things through you who strengthens us. And so, Lord, we need your help to repent. We need your help to repent as we leave. We need your help to repent tomorrow as we're at work. We need your help to repent as we're hanging out with our family over the holidays and we can't stop thinking about comparison and and coveting more. Lord, we turn our backs from comparison, from looking to others, from making myself feel better because of what others have or don't have. God, we turn our backs on greed and covetousness, Lord, desiring more things and telling you that we don't have enough by doing that, Lord. We're telling you that we don't have enough. We change our minds about that and repent. Lord, we repent of control, of taking charge of our own lives, of being closed-fisted. God, we open our hands before you and ask that you would have what you want, do what you want in our lives. Lord, and we, we do comp- uh, uh, repent of our um, mm-hmm. comparison. I got that. It's covetousness. Complaint. Lord, I repent of complaint. I repent uh, uh, of my prayers being uh, just focused on what I don't have and what I need. Lord, we bring our thankful hearts before you, and we thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. Thank you for our health. 
and our families. Thank you for uh, the transportation that we have in order to get here today. Lord, thank you that you've given us enough money that we can give back to you. Lord, we turn our backs from complaint, and we, we, we say we don't want to do it anymore, God. We don't want to be complaining people. So, Father, would you strengthen your church to, to be your witnesses in this world, to have content hearts before you, and to be lights wherever they're headed tomorrow, God. And I pray, Lord, that you draw in the lost, that you'd bring the lost home, and use these people, God. Put your gospel in their hearts, and send us out, Jesus. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.